Well, I have to say, it's a bit of a shock to the system to uh, be in front of people. I'm used to a screen. Um, I guess the downside for you guys is you can't mute anyone anymore. <laughs> well, confess, okay, who has muted Andy or Charlie at least once over the last 15 months? Come on, show of hands. <laughs> I'll take a list, don't worry, I've, I've got it sorted. Um, and it's great as well to be joined by those of you at home. Uh, you can mute me, so, uh, so that's the advantage you have over us in, in the room. But I really hope you don't. Um, I think this passage has some really interesting things for us. Um, okay, let's pray. Lord God, we believe the Bible contains your inspired words. Please help this passage make sense to us this morning. Amen. So this is my second time in the building, I think, since the refurbishment. And I came in two weeks ago. And the first thing that caught my eye, I don't know whether you can see this on the screen at home, but there's words all along the uh, middle of, of the room. And these words are our um, uh, values. And listening to Andy, I think it was two weeks ago, and Charlie last week, as they talk through Jesus having a meal with people, it seems like these values are actually Jesus' values. They're the values that he lived by. They're the values that he showed as he, as he ate and drank with people. So I was really looking forward to this sermon series, and I thought, that's great. I can have a nice feel-good passage. We can, we can really kind of um, get stuck in to understand Jesus' values, loving generously, acting justly, forgiving, including selflessly, and practicing humility. Got it. Got it. No worries. Okay. So I was really looking forward to this sermon series. But sometimes the Bible surprises us, doesn't it? And we have before us a story of what is actually pretty disastrous dinner party. You have a look at the end of the passage, at verse 54, um, the people he was sharing a meal with were waiting to catch him, or could be translated laying in wait, as you would when hunting a wild animal. <laughs> this was a meal that ended in tears. In fact, when you uh, start reading the story, uh, it doesn't get any better. And I was kind of thinking, well, why... Why was it that Luke put this story in his book? A meal of conflict, stern words. I'm not sure we see Jesus' values in action. Why did Luke include this story at all? And I think we get a hint when we look at who attended the meal. At the start of the passage, we're told that the other diners, the other guests, were Pharisees and lawyers. They were the elite, right? The socially connected people. The equivalent today of... I don't know, celebrities, sports personalities, CEOs, members of the PTA, whoever for you is the establishment, these people were at the, were at the meal with Jesus. And I think Luke chose this story because of his own experiences. He went on many journeys with Paul. And it must have seemed that wherever they went, they experienced conflict. The leaders of that society, wherever they were at, religious or secular, seemed to be against them. And Luke realised it was the same for Jesus and his disciples. Wherever Jesus went, 
there was these kind of opposites to cheerleaders. I don't know what we call that. Anti-cheerleaders. They would criticise him, they would mock him, uh, they would just try and be difficult. In fact, earlier on in the passage, earlier on in the chapter that we're looking at, in, in chapter 11, they accused him of being in league with the devil, and ultimately they plotted to kill him. These were the people that Jesus was, was eating with. And I think it was important for Luke to record somewhere the, 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 the reaction that Jesus and his followers received. Because Luke wants us to know that the leaders of society may lead us away from God. The values of those leaders are not only dangerous, they're profoundly damaging. So the meal ended badly. But frankly, it was clear from the start of the meal this wasn't going well. You see, the guests, these establishment elite, they did the first century equivalent of virtue signalling, showing how good they are. They performed this type of ceremonial washing. It's not required by the law, but it was expected of society's leaders. And Jesus just didn't engage. And this caused a stir. And Jesus was right in their faces. You fools. Verse 40. He was saying, you're trying to virtue signal, but if I lift the lid on your life, You, the Pharisees, are greedy and wicked. During the meal, Jesus uses the word woe six times, I think it was. When I think of the word woe, I'm thinking of riding a horse and trying to slow the the horse down. Whoa! I I kind of figured that probably wasn't the the meaning, so I checked a reference book, and woe apparently is an exclamation of grief. It's a yell of grief. And Jesus was saying to the other diners, Grief be upon you. He didn't sugarcoat his words, did he? In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were notorious for being greedy. They loved money and their privileged social position. But they also looked down on the poor. They kind of believed what we would perhaps call today a kind of prosperity gospel. They believed that God had blessed them financially because they were morally superior, whereas God had cursed, they thought, the poor because they were morally inferior. And Jesus turns their worldview on its head. It's not the poor who are cursed, it is society's leaders. Woe to you, Pharisees. Grief be upon you, Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees could work on the optics all they like. They can virtue signal, they can have a great reputation. But what really matters is what's on the inside. On the inside, the Pharisees were all about about themselves. Greedy, self-promoting, and individualistic. They wanted all of their ambitions now. They didn't care who they had to trample on to get that. So what would Jesus say today to our elite? I think you'd say you can regulate your online history. You can clean up your digital footprint. You can deal with your reputational risk. But it's what's on the inside that matters. Jesus wants to see authenticity. And I think this is something that our non-Christian friends and colleagues can get on board with. I'm lucky that I work for a firm that takes mental health seriously. But I've talked to people who've worked, some work in the largest multinational, some in the smallest business. And you've got 
Bosses paying lip service to protecting their employees' mental health. They put on mental health training, yet they expect their employees to work harder than ever under lockdown, knowing full well the damage that does to their employees' mental health. And it's hypocritical. Everyone can see it, and our culture is crying out for authenticity. So let's see what Jesus has to say about authentic living. He's got six points, six woes. We're going to go through them now. Um, if you've got your Bible, now those in, in the room, we can't use church Bibles um, because we're not allowed to. At home, you can use your Bible. If you're here, you may want to just flick up in Bible Gateway into to Luke 11 and have a quick look at, at that as we go through it. Okay, Jesus starts with the Pharisees giving. The law demanded tithing to support God's work in the temple and help the poor. It was a mark of love to, to tithe. But the Pharisees had made it into a public, um, a public show. And they pushed God's law to absurdity. Um, do you see in verse 42, it talks about rue. Rue was, <laughs> it was a weed. And yet they gave a tenth of that. Okay, fair enough. They gave a tenth of their garden herbs, the vegetables they grew, but it was all a facade. There was no internal devotion to God, and Jesus saw through it. No amount of public show of your giving can offset a lack of devotion to God and the poor. So the Pharisees had replaced actual love of God with tithing. Does this apply to our culture? Um, Look at the multinationals and the large firms that have whole PR departments devoted to um, uh, talking about their charitable giving and trying to enhance their image. Giving for them is about looking good. It's about improving their reputations. It's a public facade without genuine love. Or or how about the the charity auction Um, and the desire for some people to get the table at the front of the room so that everyone can see the bids they're making, they get the most razzmatazz. So we move on to the second row, getting the best seats in the house. You see, the Pharisees were attending the synagogue to be seen. The aim was to network, not to worship. And Jesus was saying, this is not right. It's what's on the inside that counts. And our ruling elite, I'm afraid to say, maybe are not that different to Jesus' day. Getting the selfie published. Getting the greatest LinkedIn followers. The greatest number of retweets. The greatest number of likes. It's about looking good. And this, this kind of externalism is as true for our ruling elite as it was in Jesus' day. And the third woe is, is really interesting. Jesus was saying the Pharisees are the equivalent to the super spreaders as they infect others with their fakeness. At verse 44, Jesus said the Pharisees were like unmarked graves. Well, in Jewish culture, contact with dead bodies was considered to be contaminating, spiritually defiling. So the Jews would obviously mark their graves really clearly so you knew not to go anywhere near it. So not only are the Pharisees foolish, they're also dangerous because their self-promotion, their replacement of God, silently contaminates others. People follow the elites 
And they're fooled to think all they need to do is focus on getting the optics right. And people who buy into this fakeness also become contaminated. And Jesus' critique of, of, of his own culture applies to us and it applies to any, actually, any human structure. Each one has its own set of external markers. Um, it's true of Victorian Britain and the religious culture there. It's true of today's current um, woke uh, environmental social justice group. It's the fist pumping, having to be seen, the self-promoting, no love for God, and it's rotten to the core. And such is the way of every human system. Jesus isn't interested in the public profile. He wants to know there's a deep love of God and a deep love for others. He sees through the virtue signaling, through the moral pretense. He's looking at the engine, not at the outside. So what does a Jesus-like authenticity actually look like? Well, when we're showing costly generosity, I think that's going to be noticed in a greedy culture. When we fail to take advantage of people in our every-person-for-themselves culture, I think that's going to be noticed. When we show undeserved forgiveness in a society where council culture is the norm, Every indiscretion is pounced upon. A tweet can end our careers and friendships. If we show undeserved forgiveness in that culture, in our culture, that's going to be noticed. When we esteem others to be greater than ourselves, in a self-promoting culture, that's going to be noticed. We will be sending a powerful, authentic message to those who would otherwise reject our worldview. Okay, I'd like to stop there, um, but I can't. The reason why I want to stop there is Jesus then goes on to talk to the lawyers. And as a lawyer, I get slightly uncomfortable. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of try and get through. I'll, I'll talk really, really fast. You'll hardly hear it. And hopefully we can get away without having any, any impact. So, the fourth woe. Jesus explains the damage done by burdensome regulations. The lawyers were really concerned that no one would go close to breaking the law. So what they did is they gold-plated the law, and they had loads of other regulations around the, the core laws, so you wouldn't get close to breaching the law. And the way they sought compliance was to hold the reins of employment, social acceptability, social advancement. Everyone had to follow these regulations, and if they didn't, they would be excommunicated, potentially losing their jobs and their friends. And if you want a definition of injustice, it was this. You hold all the cards... And you use that to devise a system of control over the masses. They kept everyone down with their burdens. What made it so unfair was they didn't even follow it themselves. In verse 46, the Pharisees and lawyers didn't lift a finger to help them. Let me tell you, any good lawyer can find the loophole in a rule. And that's what these lawyers did. They taught the rules for the others, but they found the loopholes for themselves. And every culture, every human organisation has its own rules. But you often find those who are setting them it doesn't apply to. Um, Let's think about politics. On the right of politics, Barnard Castle. On the left, stories of Extinction Rebellion leaders flying very, very far away. And it's not just politics, businesses, 
all seem to have core values nowadays. And generally those values are around integrity. But how many of those executives sitting around the boardroom table, signing off these core values, how many of them apply that at home? I, I wonder how many of those executives are having affairs. You see, the rules set by the establishment are about outward appearance. They don't say anything about the heart, what's really going on in people's lives. And the fifth woe, um, the criticism was all about the monuments they were creating to publicise their piety, and they were putting up monuments as quickly as we pulled them down. But both are all about publicising piety, aren't they? And Jesus points out the irony for the Pharisees. They sought to honour the prophets, but on the other hand, they reject the prophets' teaching because they were rejecting Jesus. And our culture, look, we celebrate greats from old, don't we? Wilberforce, who helped um, abolish slavery. Uh, Martin Luther King, who, um, who campaigned for, for racial justice. Uh, and how quickly people are to praise them, but yet ignore their Christian faith. And then the fifth woe was that the lawyers had taken away the keys of knowledge. You see, this compliance brigade, um, they'd focused society so much on externalism, on a kind of tick box compliance, they produced a whole generation of people who didn't know that they had a problem with the human heart. A whole generation of people focused on virtue signaling rather than dealing with the real problem of individualism. Individualism that turns us away from God and justice and truth. And the lawyers had fooled everyone that all they needed to follow the rules and they would be okay. And it was a con. God is not interested in self-promotion with a kind of veneer of moral purity. He, he seeks a pure heart. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that our culture is that different to the one that Jesus experienced. There is a form of institutional rightness that can hide a me-centred approach. And it's attractive. The aim of getting your best life now and doing whatever is necessary to achieve that is attractive, but it is the source of sin and of death. And it's a rejection of God and his plan for the world. And Jesus had another approach. He wasn't concerned with his own individualistic good. He was about what's good for the community. He rejected the hypocritical attitudes and displayed genuine humility and goodness, putting others before himself. And look, as I think about Jesus' approach, I do feel really privileged to be part of this church that models that. Last week we had some announcements about the seniors' fish and chip suppers, which were amazing. We celebrated those who had done so much in this building to, to make it fit for, for purpose. Um, and there are so many, so many examples of people in this congregation living to Jesus' values. And for those who are living to Jesus' values, thank you, but just be warned not to be distracted by a self-promoting culture. And there's something else in this passage. Um, and Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, not to disciples. But, but, but I, as a disciple, I, I found this passage challenging. Am I living authentically? Am I living out Jesus' 
values. We've um, got a new member of the family. Um, we've got a kitten, Cinnamon. My girls have been talking non-stop about Cinnamon. Um, and it's the first time I've had a pet in my life, so it's all a bit of a shock to the system. And I'm told that there are fundamental differences between cats and dogs. Um, cats don't have owners, they have staff, I think is the phrase. Whereas dogs, dogs are not individualistic, are they? They're about the pack, they're about the family. They, they, their success for them is that everyone else is happy. So maybe we can summarise the wording on our wall to be, be more dog. <laughs> now I've just said that, I've realised anything... The only thing you're going to remember this talk tomorrow is be more dog, which is slightly worrying. Um, living by Jesus' values is important, so important for us to witness to our community. But, but, but it is easy to fall into the trap the Pharisees fell into, to think it's all about the actions rather than what's going on inside. The Pharisees were doing some good stuff. Let's not forget, they were shown hospitality. You know, they invited Jesus for a meal. Um, they were tithing. Uh, they went to the synagogue. Um, they were trying to keep God's law. But, but Jesus' criticism of all of that was that it, it was just hollow because it didn't come from the heart. And unless our focus is on Jesus, the good things that we do, there's a danger it could become hollow. So to say our actions don't count. Of course they do. Jesus said that the Pharisees should have shown genuine love to God as well as tithing. Jesus is saying our focus is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. And that's how we can be authentic. So what does all that mean for us? We are entering into a period of, of difference, I think. We are coming to a new normal. Um, uh, what we do with our time, I think, to some extent, has changed. And it's absolutely right that we reevaluate our priorities and review how we can serve our community, how we can be more dog. But I've been thinking as well, I've been challenged. In my own, most of my adult life, I've been grumbling about my lack of time. And then. I realised going forward, I might go to the office maybe two or three days a week, which means I have an extra five or six hours um, a week that I didn't have two years ago. And those five or six hours are taken up with a bit more work, maybe some chores, although I think Jessica, my wife, would disagree with that. And certainly a lot more Netflix and, uh, and TV. There will be different stresses and strains that we all have, but as we go forward, now I think might be a good time to try and rethink our priorities and how do we choose to spend our time. So yes, let's review how we do that, but, but more than that, we've got to have a Jesus-first approach to everything. Every day, I've got to let Jesus deal with my heart because without love for God and love for others, we're not going to be able to live out Jesus' values authentically. Friends, let's remember, Jesus doesn't have a scorecard, right? If he had a scorecard, then the Pharisees would be at the top of the list. But Jesus denounced them. Jesus calls for an authenticity which focuses on the love for God and the love for our neighbours 
And when we show genuine concern for others, we fight injustice, we do these things that are written on the wall, if we do that out of an outpouring of the work that Jesus has done in us, then it's authentic. Jesus lived the most incredible life, didn't he? He was the most authentic person ever. He was the most honest, the bravest, the most admirable. And if we live our lives of authenticity, but we're not going to be concerned with virtue signaling, but instead we take up our cross and follow him, we can be a community of people that is different, that is so different. And it's not going to be a glittery view of us showing off how wonderful we are, but it's going to be authentic life focused on God and on our community. So friends, in this passage, Jesus warns us about the leaders of our society, the elite. He warns us about their actions hiding a me-centred approach. And that way of life is superficially attractive, but the truth, Jesus says, is it's the way of woe, of grief and of death. And he has a different way. It's a Jesus-first way, where our devotion to God gives us the strength to live differently. It's a way of living generously, of seeking justice for others without power, of being, of showing true forgiveness, being selfless, be more dog, being humble, seeking God's kingdom first. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we study your life, we recognise afresh how amazing you are, how authentic your actions were. And Lord God, we ask you would continue doing a work on our hearts, that through that we would be able to seek your kingdom first in your strength. Amen.